This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing. We're off the air. Oh. Interpreter. <laughs> Good catch. <laughs> and take two. <laughs> <laughs> This is an American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How is it in Texas, Chad? Very hot. <laughs> it has been in the 105 to 107 range multiple days this past week. Ooh. But, uh, I have survived by just not going outside. Yeah. And that works for me. <laughs> How about you? How are things there? Uh, rainy and in the 70s, so... <laughs> oh man, I am jealous. <laughs> My family actually went on a small road trip across Texas, um, and their tires ended up blowing out on two separate oh, occasions no. because of the heat on the road. Um, it's just that hot in Texas right now, so I yeah. feel for and you. Also and also the I'm... fact that you can say road trip across Texas. It's a, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm glad I'm not there, so, uh, <laughs> experiencing that. I had more of the office trivia last night, which yeah. was fun and crazy. I got there three and a half hours early to make sure I had a good table. And uh, <laughs> it, it went okay. Uh, there will be more details in our bonus episode this week and next week. But uh, I did okay. I didn't do as well as we did when we did it a couple months ago. Uh, but there were some tricky questions and there was a wrong question. Hmm. And there were actually questions that they took from the webisodes and everybody booed the announcer because nobody watches the webisodes. Yeah, they really don't. <laughs> and I have to admit, I've seen very few of them as well. So, Yeah, I mean, we've got a couple more to talk about when we get to the end of season five next week, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks from two now. Two weeks, yep. But even then, the only ones I can like recall off the top of my head right now are The Accountants, mm-hmm. which we watched back in season two, I think. So. Yeah, that's the only one I can name, too. Yeah. So that was last night. I also finally finished watching through Superstore on Hulu, uh, all three seasons that were available. And so I'm sad that I have to wait until October for more, but it's (laughs) okay. I need to start it finally. Yeah, yeah. We uh, do have a new bonus available, a new bonus episode available for everyone. We decided to make it public. If you missed that, Um, you can find it on our Twitter, our Facebook. We kind of posted it everywhere. It is a gift game. Basically, where Chad and I came up with 10 GIFs or GIFs, whatever you want to call them, each from season one through where we are in season five, and the other had to guess both or either the scenario and or the episode that the GIF is from. So that's available on YouTube. The link is in the show notes and on our social media. Yeah, I actually just played it last or uh, a few minutes ago before we started with my roommate downstairs. He did okay. um we want to thank some people who have reached out to us on twitter the past few days roni michelle Corey, pj amanda and no other name aside from jay so you know who you are (laughs) yeah you know thank all of you for reaching out we love interacting with everybody everyone's been so vocal recently it's been really nice and we have a new apple podcast review from Shay Lady, K Lady, sorry for the pronunciation, but uh, thank you so much for your review. And on to the discussion. First episode is Heavy Competition. It aired April 16th, 2009, directed by Ken Whittingham, written by Ryan Coe. The Michael Scott Paper Company is gaining traction thanks to the help of Michael's guy on the inside at Dunder Mifflin, Dwight. But when Dwight's work efforts are recognized by Charles, he decides he can no longer help Michael, and it becomes all-out war between the two salesmen. Both of these episodes Chad and I were just discussing are uh, they're really, really good plot episodes, and yet so little seems to happen in like the arc of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot happens and not much happens at the same time. As I said, Michael Scott Paper Company is getting some skin in the game. Uh, They've been sort of skimming off the smaller Dunder Mifflin accounts so far. Um, And you can also see that the three of them are really sort of functioning together better as a group. Uh, They're working together. They're having fun with each other. They have a morning chant that they do every morning. Things are going a lot better than when we saw them last episode, first trying to get started, where they were at each other's throats half the time. And 
I, I wanted to say subtweeting, although that's not what they're doing. <laughs> they're, you know what I mean, though. Like Ryan was on the phone call talking about Pam, even though he didn't say Pam's name and wasn't expecting Pam to listen. Right. So I mean, it was a, that same sort of thing where it was obvious who he was talking about, but he wasn't saying it explicitly. So they were doing that. They are no longer doing that now, and all signs point to at least at the start things going pretty good. Yeah, in fact, they're even getting a little bit of help from Dunder Mifflin in the form of Dwight, who right now still his loyalty lies with Michael, even though Charles is now his boss. Michael no longer is Dwight's boss. But Dwight still at this time trusts Michael and wants him to, wants him to succeed. That changes when Charles instills some trust in Dwight, even asks Dwight out for a drink. And Dwight doesn't feel comfortable anymore betraying Charles to give info to Michael. So he has a change of heart. And um, until that happens, Dwight has been meeting up with Michael, sneaking around and giving him client information. It's interesting. Dwight is in a weird place at the start of the episode. The mustard shirts are gone. He's wearing a long sleeve white button up uh, because of new like dress code policies that Charles has instituted. He says it's cutting off my circulation, that not enough blood is getting to my hands. He says, doesn't Charles know he's compromising my attack readiness? (laughs) And, you know, I was originally going to make an argument against needing attack readiness in an office setting, but we have already seen Dwight prevent an assault in the office. So it's kind of hard to argue with him, (laughs) even if it is slim chances that would happen again. But it's not the the thing you pointed out that I wanted to highlight was that it's not really until um I was about to say Idris Charles <laughs> makes the social connection with Dwight that he decides he can't betray Charles any longer. Sure he was glad to get some recognition for his efforts. He uh I think Charles called called attention to his focus and Dwight says yes like a wolf. My, uh, Dwight actually refers to himself as a wolf twice in this episode, but it's not until Charles says, you know what, let's even go, let's go, let's go get a drink together this week. Really? Yeah, really. And that's what I think really wins Dwight over because we've seen Dwight and Michael have this weird sort of friendship where sometimes they're really close and other times, especially kind of more recently, they haven't been as close. And Michael, I guess, just, just hasn't been extending, extending, good, I can't, I can't talk. Uh, hasn't been extending that social part of their relationship outside of the workplace. And now that Charles is doing that, he's more willing to turn on Michael in favor of Charles. And Charles is that kind of guy. He's so smooth and cool and quiet. And he's just, Dwight even says he's the cool new guy. And the fact that the cool new guy would want to hang out with Dwight, who is not the cool guy for a lot of people in the office, really excites Dwight. and. His loyalty seems to sway a bit. So now Dwight doesn't feel comfortable sharing this information with Michael. He kind of sets Michael up. He says, let's go meet in our usual spot, but he tips off Charles. So now Charles knows that Michael's been fed information. And uh, they try to strike a a compromise, an agreement, but it doesn't really work out. Um, Dwight was going to go take Michael and the rest of the Michael Scott paper company out for lunch, but decides instead to leave them hanging and and bail on them and ransack their office instead. Dwight, even though he is no longer sort of loyal to Michael in the sense that he's not giving him information anymore, he still refers to Michael as a personal hero. And he calls Charles the cool new guy who would not like it if he helped his hero. So we see that Dwight's motivations are complicated. Michael asks, you know, why did you rat me out? Why didn't you just say, no, I don't want to help you anymore? And Dwight says, and not come through for you. So he still has these this notion that he needs to follow through with Michael. But I, I, had, I had to ask, which is worse, not coming through or ratting someone out? I would say ratting someone out is worse, you know? So it's when Michael decides to start going after Dwight's clients outright that Dwight mm-hmm. starts to play dirty. Uh, he he's on the phone with Schofield and he says, you know, I thought Michael Scott left the paper business after his nervous breakdown. He's nervous because he knows that Michael is a legendary salesman. And we actually get to see some of that in this episode, which is always a treat. Really, both of the episodes that we're talking about today, we see Michael's business acumen in ways we really haven't seen before. I mean, we've We've seen him be good. We've seen him close sales. But in both of these episodes, he has really, really 
killed it. Um, I'm skipping ahead a bit, but we see Michael go to Mr. Schofield's office um, at the height of this conflict between Michael and Dwight. Michael calls Dwight and says, okay, I'm going to turn the volume down and you're going to have to listen while I steal your biggest client. He puts his phone in his chest pocket and drives to Schofield's office. Dwight busts in the meeting and says, April 13th, 2002, that's when you signed with Dunder Mifflin, whatever. Michael kills it. He says, I'm going to pull a date out at you. Also, April 13th, 2002, it's the last day that you evaluated your paper needs, is it not? We all know that the economy is bad and bloated companies like Dunder Mifflin are going to fall by the wayside. Two of their branches have closed within the last year. The Michael Scott Paper Company, however, has opened a new branch this very month. That's true. And as far as this guy knows, you know, he's successful. And um, yeah, it's not, it's true. I mean, Dunder Mifflin has been failing with the exception of the Scranton branch. So he makes good points and he's succinct and brief and, and he sounds like he knows what he's talking about and he holds his own. And he knows his people. Ryan even compliments Michael. He says, look at that old dude in his Rolodex go. Michael straight up has his old school paper flip Rolodex that has notes on customers, personal information, things to remember about them so that he can leave a good impression, family facts, what sports teams they like, all that kind of stuff he contains on these Rolodex cards. And even though Dwight is able to steal them from him when he sabotages the office or the Michael Scott paper company office, office, Michael is able to remember some of those traits and to play the customers in a way that's favorable to him. And he also knows his coloring system that Dwight was not familiar with. And so Dwight ends up bringing stuff that Michael marked as things to not bring up. So it's almost like Dwight played himself in stealing the Rolodex because he wasn't familiar with Michael's organization. Uh, It's just such a, a funny moment there at the end when, when, Dwight screws himself over because he mentions things he shouldn't have mentioned. Granted, Michael's color reference is not the most traditional. (laughs) Green means go ahead and stop talking about it or something. Go ahead and shut up about it. Orange means, aren't you glad you didn't mention it? So it's a bit untraditional, but Michael knows what it means and that works or it has worked in the past until uh, somebody who was not fluent in the color code system stole the cards. So Michael is successful in stealing Mr. Schofield from Dwight, but Michael does have a great quote at the end. He says, you know, I wanted to start a company, not a war, because in a war, you always fight those you were closest to. So Dwight or Michael was never after Dunder Mifflin specifically, necessarily, especially not the people he worked with. Michael is just, well, I mean, he's trying to make a living, I think. And it's not until Dwight makes it combative and makes it uh, more of a war that Michael gives in. And it's, it's something he sort of saw as unavoidable at that point. It should also be mentioned that there is a bit of a B plot in this episode. Jim and Pam are wedding planning in the quote, I know. Yay. Finally in the haunted graveyard of Andy and Angela's love. So Andy (laughs) is basically trying to pawn off all of the stuff that he's made deposits on that are non-refundable, I assume. And he, is stuck with all this wedding stuff that he won't be using. So he is trying to get them to hire Here Comes Trouble and buy a cake shaped like a cross, because clearly that's what Angela wanted. And uh, there's just this plot going through about about Andy trying to uh, pawn this stuff off on them. Andy, of course, misinterprets Pam as not being cool because she doesn't want this stuff at her wedding and tries to convince Jim that he and Pam are not right together. He tries to get Jim to break up with Pam because she's not right for him for not wanting this stuff. Jim just knows when to play an opportunity. And he plays Andy like a fiddle here. He says, it's so scary how right the things you're saying are. And you're coming at it with almost no knowledge. So of course, I trust your opinion on <laughs> on this. And I mean, I feel bad for Andy. He has a, a talking head right after, that, right after that where he says, I know a few things about love horrible, terrible, awful, awful things. He went through quite an ordeal. So, I mean, one, it's great that Andy cares about Jim to the point that he doesn't want him to go through the same heartache he went through. And two, it's it's sad that his experience with Angela was so bad that he is completely blind to Jim and Pam's very obvious happiness together. I didn't think about this till just now, actually, but I'm kind of wondering if he's having flashbacks of his time with Angela when they were wedding planning 
because mm-hmm. he would want all this stuff. And Angela said, no, nope, 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 not that, not that. And Pam here saying, no, I don't want this. Jim is kind of humoring Andy and making fun of him mm-hmm. without him knowing, but like, well, that sounds great. You know, like, um, <laughs> was it a deleted scene or was it in the episode where Andy says, don't think of it as a cross. Think of it as your love crossing in marriage. And right. Jim says, that was a deleted scene. right. Jim says, well, now I don't even see it as a crucifix. So he's like, <laughs> he's messing with Andy and Pam is being up front and saying, no, I don't want this. So maybe Andy mm. is thinking of his time with Angela and just how she didn't give him anything he wanted. I think that's a really good comparison. I think that fits right in. Uh, good job. That's awesome. <laughs> and so at the culmination of everything, when it's revealed that Jim was just messing with Andy the whole time, he says, you know, I need you to understand two things. One, Pam and I are very happy together. And two, what happened with you and Angela is a bummer. And I know you don't think you're ever going to find anyone else, but you will. I promise you, you will. I mean, Jim, he's such a good guy. He's such a gentle soul. Andy has a talking head after about, you know, I learned a lot about myself today. He says, I wish I was sitting on a couch. I could just sit and talk for hours. It, Andy, I don't know. I think Jim is just helping Andy to see I don't have to inflict my misery on others. Not that he was necessarily trying to make Jim miserable, but it was that he was seeing his own situation on Jim and that wasn't accurate. So uh, I, I like that Jim sort of forced Andy to look inward and maybe get past it. Jim has this ability to connect with people that he really doesn't even like that much. He thinks Andy's fine, as far as I know, but he doesn't want to hang out with Andy. He doesn't have any really particularly strong feelings of friendship towards Andy. And yet he's able to have that sincere one-on-one, like, hey, you're going to be okay. This sucked, Mm -hmm. but you're going to be okay. He can really do that with anyone. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Any other character moments? That's it for me. Okay, going on to funny moments. How about you start us off? There is the cheese puff uh, cold open, which of course are the cheese puffs stolen from Dunder Mifflin's Granton a few episodes ago, which yesterday actually I was at the grocery store and I texted Chad a picture of what I believe were the <laughs> same cheese puffs. I don't know the name, like I've never heard it pronounced UTZ. It's a brand Utz, I guess. It's a Northeast mm-hmm. brand that I've seen a whole lot since living up here. You see a lot of their stuff in the office and it's that same, uh, those same cheese puffs. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's this giant bucket basically of cheese puffs and they start throwing them in each other's mouths and it's become like a game and my favorite Mm -hmm. clip of that is pam yawning and both michael (laughs) and ryan throw puffs at her and one gets stuck in her hair and she doesn't realize (laughs) yeah that's one of my favorites as well i also love when michael throws it over his shoulder into ryan's mouth and he just does that stupid hidden teeth grin it's like the big (laughs) the, the proud michael scott grin right uh, and it also continues into the final moments of the episode where they count how many cheese balls they can fit into their mouths Yeah, and they get to 31 and they're celebrating and it's just like, <laughs> and Michael answers the phone and, oh, company, and they all laugh and it's, it's just a good time. Yeah. Uh, but fun fact, it looks like they fixed the time zone error on the clocks from the last episode. I didn't I'm even think sure. to look. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they fixed it. Awesome. So. Okay. Good on them. <laughs> Michael, he offers Dwight $6 for his trouble <laughs> giving him leads on Dunder Mifflin accounts. He tries to push it on Dwight and says, you know, I don't need $6 to help a friend. You know, I can't take this. Michael says, yes, I do. And so he pockets it <laughs> instead of trying to fight him. And then Dwight says, oh, by the way, you owe me $10. <laughs> Michael says, it was four years ago. Why don't you just let it go? I wonder what that was for. And he could have just taken the $6 and been like, hey, four more. <laughs> but yeah. Michael says that he has dibs on Dwight as far as loyalty goes and asks (laughs) Dwight if he respects dibs. Dwight says, of course, I'm not a barbarian, (laughs) which I love because dibs is law. Yeah, it is. Just like shotgun. (laughs) Yeah. Respect Uh, it. The the rules of shotgun are very clear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, That that quote about him having dibs... uh, is finished up on the phone, Michael or Dwight had said, you know, he was talking vaguely. He said, my uh, personal hero and my cool new boss or cool new guy. And so Michael's trying to figure out who it is. He says, Dwight is the cool new guy, Charles. Is it Stanley? 
Like, could it not be more obvious? Is Stanley new? No, he's not. It's Charles. It's very obviously Charles. Well, of course, he said that he was Will Smith-esque. Yeah. Meaning black. So black. it had to be either Charles or Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When Michael and Dwight meet for one of the last times in private, although I guess it's right before Charles shows up, Michael says, I hope you're not recording this conversation. And Dwight lifts his shirt and drops his pants in the parking lot to prove <laughs> that he is not uh, wearing a wire. So I guess he still shows some commitment to Michael. Yeah, Michael just says, good. Good. Thank <laughs> good. you. Uh, when Charles does show up, uh, and I, I do think they're separate meetings. They are, but, yeah. Uh, Charles shows up and he says something to the effect of, do we have an understanding about, you know, gentlemen's agreements, how we're going to conduct our businesses? And Michael says, I understand nothing. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Another very Thanks for being moment. very clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After Dwight has stolen Michael's Rolodex, he finds the file on himself. And uh, he makes a joke saying something like, oh, yes, great salesman, better friend or something like that. But he says, no. You know what he wrote about me? Tall. Beats. <laughs> That's all Michael wrote and uh, apparently remembers about Dwight. One of my favorite moments is when Dwight was supposed to meet them for lunch and he never showed up. So Michael orders his sandwich to go. And then when it's revealed that Dwight sabotaged the Michael Scott Paper Company, Michael says, well, you know what? I have your meatball parm sandwich here and I am going to eat it. And Dwight says, and I knew you would do that. Their meatball parm is their worst sandwich. And at that point, Michael's already taken a huge bite into it. And he's just like, oh, God, this is awful. This is bad. Back out. <laughs> I love that. You mentioned it a bit earlier, but it's, it's worth quoting the faux pas that Dwight makes when he steals the, uh, the Rolodex and doesn't know Michael's color coding. He's talking to Mr. Schofield. He says, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. And tell me, um, how's your gay son? <laughs> Mr. Schofield said, excuse me? How is Tom, the homosexual sophomore? <laughs> and then we cut to the, the talking head with Michael. I wrote gay son in green. Green means go, so I know to go ahead and shut up about it. Orange means aren't you glad he didn't bring it up. Most colors mean don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that clarification, Michael. <laughs> When Andy is first showing at the beginning of the episode, Jim and Pam, the recording of Here Comes Trouble, it's like, isn't it Paco Bell's canon or something? I'm trying to remember it right now, but it's like a classical piece. I think it and, is the start to Paco Bell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's real peaceful. It's the traditional walk down the aisle song. And then all of a sudden it swells into a bass solo sung by Andy himself to You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon, which is about a man going through like a midlife crisis. And so Pam says, wait, I'm confused. Am I walking down the aisle to You Can Call Me Al? So romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and so th they talk about it a little bit more and they ask how much it's going to cost. And Andy says, you know, well, uh, airfare, uh, table at the front for merch, a couple other things, about $9,000. And Pam just says, it seems like a lot for an acapella group from a college we never went to. Andy just says, did you even hear the music I just played for you? She just goes, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. That's why I'm saying no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually it for me, unless you had any more. As I mentioned earlier, just something to point out, Dwight does refer to himself as a wolf twice in this episode. <laughs> There's once when Charles compliments his focus, and then once when he tells Michael, you have no idea what kind of enemy you've created. You have unleashed the wolf. <laughs> so, there it is. He's a wolf. He's committing to that. He's sure. And, let's see, one more. Michael has been talking, Dwight says, Michael has been talking to my biggest client, master and apprentice, pitted against one another for the fate of the greater Scranton area paper market. <laughs> it's, it's not as dramatic or as hardcore as he was hoping it would sound. The greater Scranton market. <laughs> okay, what about deleted scenes? I already mentioned one of them on accident. The um, Andy selling Jim and Pam on a crucifix cake. Don't think of it as a cross. Think of it as a symbol of your lives crossing in marriage. I already said that one, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's one. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good to point out because the, the cross cake is actually referenced in the episode, and this is the genesis of that. So. Right, yeah. 
Michael says, you know, getting the leads from Dwight helps us and it makes Dwight feel good. And if friends don't make you feel good, then I don't want any friends except for Dwight because he's our only source of fertile leads. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only thing he's using Dwight for at this point. If, he, yeah. if he's going to be my friend, it's only for that reason. And that's, again, part of the reason why Dwight ends up going with Charles. So Dwight steals one of Michael's clients in retaliation, and the name of the business is Howard Family Dry Cleaners. We we learn that this is Ryan's Uncle Dave. Ryan takes it very personally that Dwight would go after his family and says some nasty stuff to uh, to Pam in retaliation. Yeah, he says something like, that's my family, and if you mess with my family, I can't be responsible for my actions. <laughs> yes. And Pam says... Are you ever responsible for your actions? Yeah, when are you ever responsible <laughs> yeah. for your actions? And he, just, he says, get off my ass, you hag. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael, Michael says, something about that seems inappropriate. <laughs> Can't put a finger on what it is, but something seems off. I love this brief talking head from Michael. He's talking about Dwight, of course. He says, betrayal ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> Denial. <laughs> Is yeah. the one he's thinking of. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I love this talking head from Pam where she shows. So in the episode, Pam and Ryan have scribbled something on a notepad for Michael while he was on the phone with Dwight saying he's talking about you. Pam in this talking head in the deleted scenes shows some other signs that she's had to scribble out on the notepad for Michael, including apologize and hang up. They cannot see you wink. <laughs> and... <laughs> Don't give social security number to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big one. Don't That's do that. a big one. Especially over the phone. Not or a really good thing. Really anyone. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, Dwight has a talking head where it seems like the, the camera crew has just accused him of having no backbone for going against Michael like this in the way he has. And he says, you know, some of the deadliest warriors don't have backbones. Listeria, E. coli, bacterial diarrhea has killed more people than all wars combined. And when it comes to Michael, I am his bacterial diarrhea. <laughs> Okay, Michael would yeah, agree with that's that. Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not something that I would like to make a comparison to myself, though. Nah. But, no. Andy tries to sell others in the office his wedding stuff, including three matching gray dresses, a horse drawn carriage. He tries to sell Oscar 100 bags, 100 little bags of rice, perfect for arroz con arroz. Um, <laughs> rice with rice. Yeah. Rice with rice, as opposed to arroz con pollo, which is a dish that people have. Um, yeah. Uh, Creed takes Andy up on his offer to buy the tuxedo, but only the bottom half. He wants to go out the same way he came in, shirtless. So confirmed Creed was born with pants on. <laughs> I always suspected. <laughs> <laughs> it was also funny. He, he tried to convince Aunt, or Stanley to get the 60 flower centerpieces. He says, you like, you like flowers, right? And Stanley just says, you know, I wouldn't take them if they were free. <laughs> so he says, Stanley, why are you even here? He says, I want the rice. <laughs> okay. Okay. <Sold. laughs> going on to our next episode, we are going to Broke. It aired on April 23rd of 2009, was directed by Steve Carell. I think it's the second episode to be directed by him after mm -hmm. Casino Night. Yeah. Uh, and right. it was written by Charlie Grandy. The Michael Scott Paper Company is stealing Dunder Mifflin's Granton's clients left and right. David Wallace visits the branch to see what can be done. He decides, along with Charles, that the cheapest option would be to offer to buy out the Michael Scott Paper Company. What Dunder Mifflin doesn't know is that the Michael Scott Paper Company is actually broke. They are worth nothing. But the Michael Scott Paper Company holds it together long enough to be bought out. And Michael, Pam, and even Ryan have all been promised jobs at Scranton by the end of the episode. Say Michael Scott Paper Company five times fast. Can't. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I typed every time, too. So this episode starts off and the Michael Scott Paper Company is making paper de deliveries themselves at 4.30 in the morning because they haven't hired a delivery person. And they're exhausting themselves by doing this. Later in the episode, Ryan says, you know, we've got to, we've got to hire a delivery person. And uh, Michael is debating between going for the delivery person and building a loft in the, com the, the company office. I mean... Those are equivalent. So, you know, they're not doing well super well. They're not doing well financially at all, but they're being successful insofar as getting new clients, i.e. clients from Dunder Mifflin. They've 
it's been revealed they've taken 10 major clients from Dunder Mifflin in the last month. So, I mean, they, they are making an impact on Dunder Mifflin sales. They're making an impact and they're making no progress themselves right. because their prices, as we learn, are so low that they are losing money with each client they take on. You know, it's almost like they're in a, a lifeboat that has a hole in it at the side of a pirate ship. Yeah. And they're taking treasure from the pirate ship and piling it on. Sinking. And the more treasure <laughs> they go, the further they sink. But they've yeah. got the treasure. So. It isn't worth uh, it. Um, yeah. They visit an accountant who says, like, this isn't working. You guys are going to be bankrupt very soon. Um, I don't know how your prices are this low, but you won't be lasting long. And it's true. They do have very, very low prices. And um, it's noted even by Dunder Mifflin that, like, I don't know how you're doing this, which is how they're getting these clients. But I guess the cost of signing on a client is greater than the profit that they're making or than the, the payment that they're getting. They're not getting profit. So they're, they're sinking. Right. And it's the point that the, the accountant makes as well is that, you know, yeah, you may be sustainable if you stayed this size forever. But the, the fact is, the more clients you get, the more resources you're going to have, the more people you're going to have to hire, the higher your costs go up as a business. And so if you keep the products at this price, you're not going to make any profit. You're just going to sink. Yeah. So uh, which, which is funny because Ryan says, you know, I looked at the numbers myself, but he used the wrong price model. So how much did Ryan really learn from business school? I don't know. <laughs> but man, I feel bad. I do feel bad for them because you see Michael having to make a phone call to a client asking for more money than they've already paid. Ugh. It's not like they're asking for more money for the next order, just hiking the prices. It's no, you paid for us. You paid for this that we dropped off yesterday. We need a lot bigger check than you gave us yesterday. That, I mean, it's crushing Michael. He said, no, I, I got your check. It was in the right amount, but I just need a lot more. Like, oh, that's yeah. you can't retroactively up your price. That's not how that works. And it's tough because, I mean, Ryan and Pam are suffering through this as well. Ryan admits that he didn't go to Thailand. You know, I went to Fort Lauderdale instead. And uh, in case you didn't know, that's significantly less out of country than Thailand is. Uh, is it? <laughs> yeah, just, wow. just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and Pam says, you know, when a child gets behind the wheel of a car and runs into a tree, you don't blame the child. He didn't know any better. You blame the 30-year-old woman who got in the passenger seat and said, drive, kid. I trust you. <laughs> and I mean, she's just feeling like a failure again. That's, that's sort of been Pam's MO for these past seasons. Not that she always feels like a failure, but it's just like she goes to art school and she flunks out. Now she's making a career change. She's gone from reception, trying to prove that she can be something else. She can be a salesperson. And now she's failing at that too. Jim comforts her, says, you know, we're going to figure things out. It's going to be okay. But then she further reveals to Michael and Ryan, uh, because this is their own little family, they're, they're close to each other now. She applied for other jobs to places like Old Navy and Target and Walmart, and they didn't even call her for an interview. So, I mean, this team is feeling real low because everything's just crumbling around them. And you, you do have to feel for them, even Ryan a little bit. Pam said she needed a weekend job because she's getting married and that's expensive. She, she applied to these places on, on the weekend and they are just not even bothering to call her back. Um, and, and now she's not even going to have this job. Right. You know, so she's going from seeking extra pay to not having any pay. Anything, just relying on Jim's income, which, I mean... At the rate that he's losing clients, probably mm. not enough. So things are grim, but David is in Scranton to see what can be done. He has a meeting with Charles and even with Dwight and Jim. David is very confused as to why Dwight is Charles's number one guy. He's like, that is very surprising. Um, Jim's always been my guy, so okay, invite them both in. <laughs> and they decide that the cheapest option would be, as I said, to buy out Michael's company. In the long run, I mean, while this would be an expensive buyout, it would save them, I mean, from catastrophe in the future. So let's go ahead and buy them out and just absorb the clients back. And that would be it. Jim volunteers to go downstairs and talk to them. However, Pam has mentioned, look, like, in private with Jim, as, as fiancés, as people in a relationship, she confides in him and says, like, we are failing. We are on the way down. So Jim is the one to volunteer to go down there to say, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know. 
we're interested in buying you out. Don't tell me any information. As far as I know, you guys are great. La, 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 la. Don't tell me anything. Yeah. So they all, the three of them, plus Jim, go upstairs and sit down with, with David and Charles. Just speaking to Charles specifically, before we get further into the negotiations, at the start of the episode, he's really upset with everybody by the loss of all these clients to the Michael Scott Paper Company. He says, you know, I don't want excuses. I just want to see improvements. He actually uses the word unacceptable. I mean, what, what, ex- I mean, what control do they have over the situation when it all stemmed from their treatment towards Michael in the first place, and now Michael is giving cheaper costs? They, they can't do anything to beat that. It's not their fault. And the way Charles treats him is just awful. Only for him to completely 180 when David walks in the room, and we find out he's a major suck-up. Yep. And he's trying to prove himself as well to David, just like Jim was trying to prove himself to Charles. And uh, I, I mean, I just love when Jim first realizes that Charles is a huge suck up. And he has that, that brief, it'd be a talking head, but he doesn't talk. He just does the kissing sound. The... Yeah. For like 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. It's like, yep. Okay. I know what Charles is all about at this point. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say the, the Jim comeback victory vindication part of the episode is like the most satisfying thing after seeing Jim suffer for these past five episodes. Absolutely. It's really satisfying uh, to see Jim kind of back on top for a little bit. (laughs) And Michael too, frankly. So going into that, we have the negotiations and David first says, okay, I'm going to try and expedite this process. We're going to make you a generous offer. $12,000. And Michael says, that is insultingly low. And so David says, okay, well, I'd have to go to the board for approval for this. But how's about $60,000? Which, that's a huge jump. That is. It is a huge jump. That's, what is it, five times uh, the previous offer? I mean, it's pretty pretty great. Yeah. Um, And so the first time they ask Charles and David to leave the room so they can discuss. And they freak out for a second. And they agree, okay, let's take it. But Michael says, once David and Charles enter the room again, we're not going to take it. And so they leave the room again, and they talk, jobs are safer. And good for Michael, thinking, yes, jobs are safer than a cash buyout. It, and he does make a great metaphor, like an actual great metaphor, not a silly Michael one. Wouldn't you rather have a fishing pole than a fish? So good on him. Because if we know Michael at all, in any other situation, he would have been like, ooh, money, and just taking it, you know, because it's impulsive mm-hmm. and it's right here and he can take that home and that's his money. A job would mean work and it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. It would eventually pay more than the buyout would, but 60K is right now. And that's mm-hmm. smart of him. Right. And that's what Ryan actually tries to go for is he just wants the money. but. Uh, Pam and Michael convince him to go for the jobs. Right. And so they, David and Charles come back in, they make that final offer and Michael almost blows their cover. You know, when they first walked in to Dunder Mifflin and uh, they were going to make these negotiations, Michael was really worried that he was going to let slip that they were broke and that their company was worthless. And these negotiations were negotiations were just going to fall apart because of that. They weren't going to have anything to negotiate. And we think for a split second that Michael does let it slip. David says, your company can't be worth that much. Michael says, my company is worthless. And you sort of see Pam and Ryan's eyes like flicker in like, crap, he let it slip. Michael says, that's the difference between you and me. It's never about the money for me, David. If this company fails, then I'm just going to go start another one and then another one and then another one. And so Michael is really just emphasizing that I'm in it for these people. This is, this is what I'm in this business for. And we've heard him say it before, biz, or paper is the most personal thing in the world. Business is the most personal thing in the world. We've seen how he cares for his own. We saw him try and chase Stanley back in uh, business wars, branch wars. And so Michael is just proving time and time again, and especially here, these are the people I care about. This is what I care about. And I don't care about the money. I just want a job for me and for both my people, including Ryan, who, as David points out, lost the company hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, I mean, he's he's really pushing things, but 
that's that's what he goes for. In that same conversation um, where David says, look, your business cannot be worth this much. Michael makes a really smart, if really aggressive, um, broad at David. He says, I'll see your situation and I'll raise you a situation. Your company is losing clients left and right. You have a stockholder meeting coming up and you're going to have to explain to them why your most profitable branch is bleeding. So you may be looking or rather they may be looking for a change in CFO. So I don't think I'll have to wait out Dunder Mifflin. I think I'll just have to wait out you. And that's like blowing the smoke out the gun. Right. Like, so David's about to get fired. So maybe I'll just wait till that happens. And it's, it's aggressive and it hurts and um, it works. It's so great to see Michael again, standing by his people. I can't say it enough. I wrote it in caps in my notes. Michael stands by his people. Mm-hmm. And that's what what wins things over here. Uh, and I love it. It's so great. I love that when Charles is leaving and turns around to try and say goodbye to everybody, make a speech of some kind, Michael says the exact same thing to him that Charles said to Michael when he got kicked out back in two weeks. No, no, you're done. And... Charles shuts up and he leaves and it is like, boom, Michael Scott. Because, yeah, because Charles was there <laughs> filling in while Scranton didn't have a, uh, a, a manager mm-hmm. and now they do again. So Charles is not needed. And Michael takes that Michael Scott pose, leg up on Jim's desk, <laughs> victory. <laughs> He's so happy. Yeah. Uh. It's a great episode. Like I said, it's such a satisfying episode watching Jim prove his competence why, while uh, Dwight sort of disproves his or at least reveals his eccentricities that Charles wasn't really aware of um, during the negotiate. Well, not the negotiations. It's when they're trying to figure out what to do about the Michael Scott paper company. Jim says, how about a temporary price reduction from corporate? Do you think that could get approved? And they said, no, that, that, that will make us appear weak. Uh, Dwight says, well, how about we just fill Michael's office with bees? And okay. okay. And then he says, man, if only Michael had children, that's how you really apply the pressure. <laughs> just watching Charles sit and roll his eyes as he listens to Dwight. It's crackpot ideas. It's just so enjoyable, enjoyable to watch. We see Dwight lose all of his credibility to the point that when he does learn the truth, Michael or Dwight gets a phone call from one of his customers that, Michael Scott was trying to ask for more money from. And he tries to tell Charles before this negotiation goes through. And Charles doesn't believe him and says, you stay away from the conference room. You have embarrassed me for the last time today. You two, Dwight and Jim, are morons. (laughs) And that's that. Dwight is done in the eyes of Charles. And it is just such a great turn. I feel like Charles cannot stand one Scranton employee. Like, he just hates all of them. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, my favorite Jim comeback to to Charles in this episode is when David first suggests the option of the buyout of the MSPC. And Charles says, you know, I agree. I was going to suggest the same thing. And Jim just smiles and says, oh, but you didn't. Didn't, though. Funny. Okay, let's get into more funny stuff because I think this episode has some good stuff. I have to admit that was not the funniest episode to me, uh, just as far as like little one-liners, which The Office is usually so chock full of. Um, this is such a plot-heavy episode for me, mm-hmm. but um, I've always liked this one. And I think about it more often than I should when I drink coffee. No, I do the same thing. I already know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, it's their, you know, 4.30, 5 a.m. delivery van time. And um, Michael's just picked Pam up from her house, which at least he's doing that. That's nice, I mm-hmm. guess. So Pam says, you didn't happen to bring any coffee, did you, Michael? Michael hands back a thermos and says, milk and sugar. Pam says, oh, thank you. You're a lifesaver and drinks from the the thermos. Wait, is this just milk and sugar? (laughs) Is this what you drink every day? He goes, yep, every morning. (laughs) He says, that's what I said, milk and sugar. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I said, milk and sugar. He did say milk and sugar, but it's implied that there was coffee in there. Yeah. Oh, that is. I love that so much. That's so good. <laughs> when they meet with the accountant, Ryan says, look, our price model is fine. I reviewed the numbers myself. Over time, with enough volume, we become profitable. Ty, the accountant says, yeah, with a fixed cost pricing model, that's correct. Ryan, yeah. Ty, but you need to use a variable cost pricing model. And this is the funny part. Michael says, okay, right. So 
why don't you explain what it is to, so, so that they can under, just explain what that is. And Ryan says, explain what you think that is. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm the professional here, not you. Explain <laughs> what, what you think, think so means? I can tell you if you're right. Also with the accountant, Michael's really not thrilled with what the numbers are saying. <laughs> and so he says, crunch them again. Ty says, it's a computer program. Like, they don't crunch. Michael's just, would you please just crunch the numbers? <laughs> and so he hits, Ty hits a button, crunch. Pam just hopefully says, did it help? Like, can we stay in business, please? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a joke that I don't think I'd ever gotten before, but I got it this time. Jim, when he has approached the Michael Scott Paper Company with the offer of a buyout, he says, I will see you titans of industry upstairs. As Jim is walking out, Michael says, well, we're not only tight ends, we are also quarterbacks. And I don't know if I'd ever made the connection before, but Michael misheard titans, T-I-T-A-N-S, as tight ends, as in the football position. Football, That's funny. I just never got it before, so I'm glad I caught it this time. Um, It should be noted that the van that they're using, uh, they got from a used car lot, and it used to be a church van. At least that's what they think. They think that it reads, Alleluia, Church of Scranton, in Korean, Mm -hmm. along the side of the van. And so all of these little Korean ladies keep getting in the van, (laughs) but they don't speak English. And so Pam's like, no, this isn't for the church. And they just stare at her. (laughs) And eventually they just start letting them right along with them because they can't communicate. So they just have passengers in the van. This is potentially one of my favorite Michael Scott quotes of all time. I know exactly what you're going to (laughs) say. When they enter Dunder Mifflin, Scranton, and Michael just says, well, 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 how the turntables. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) I say that all the time. It is so funny to me. It's just like he he blanks on the rest of the phrase and he just lets it sit there. And nobody says And the camera just cuts to Charles and David and they're just like, okay, he's back. (laughs) There's this great back and forth between Jim and Dwight. Dwight is realizing that Michael's got paper company is broke. Jim says, great detective work. This must be the first case you've ever cracked, right? Dwight says, you don't crack a case. It, that's like calling a policeman a cop. You solve a case. And yes, I've solved plenty. Charles is trying to get back to the conversation. But Jim says, okay, no, no, no. But what are your top five cases? Because you've solved zero cases. Dwight says, okay, one, case of the beat bandit. Missing beats from all over the farm. No footprints. Inside job. Mose in socks. Boom, case closed. <laughs> and anytime Mose is mentioned, I have to bring it up because, as I stated, I adore Mose. Me too. Mose in socks. You, Mose in socks. You, you figured That's it just, out. It's cute. Like, he's, it that just sounds fun. <laughs> I, I mentioned part of this conversation earlier. David says, to expedite these negotiations, we are prepared to make you a very generous offer. And Michael says, and we are prepared to reject that offer. Ryan says, Michael, you haven't even heard Michael never accept their first offer. What is your second offer? David, $12,000. That is insultingly low. I don't even want to hear what your first offer was. (laughs) And so when David then offers $60,000 and they uh, send Charles and David out of the room, Michael is like, we are so rich. And I mean, let's be honest, $60,000 for that's a good paying job yearly salary, like a a good paying job, like not rich, but that's not $60,000 isn't gonna make you rich. No. And then between the three of them, and realistically, Michael would probably get more than the other two. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. nice. I wouldn't turn it yeah. down, but like, yeah. it's not. It's, it's not a salary. Right. One more from Michael. During his big, I believe in my people, I want Ryan to have a job here too, uh, spiel. He says, I don't care if he murdered his entire family. Ryan is like a son to me. <laughs> there, there's a concern there. Between those two halves of the statement, he's like a son to me, murdered his entire family. There's something that you're not paying attention to, Michael. (laughs) One more for me, Angela and Kelly, which like we don't get really any other characters in this episode, really. Everyone's kind of focused on on the negotiations. But Angela and Kelly are trying to listen in on the meeting that's happening. So Kelly has a cup to the door. Angela says, what do you hear? Kelly says, 
Yeah, okay. That's... Yeah, like the Charlie Brown teacher sound. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when Dwight first suggests, I say we fill Michael's office with bees. My apiarist owes a favor. Jim says, really? Does he do good work? Or Dwight interrupts, no, Jim, I use a bad apiarist. And he rolls his eyes and just stares at the camera like, this guy. <laughs> I would hire a bad apiarist. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> And last one for me is a conversation between Andy and Charles at the start of the episode. Andy says, hey, boss, uh, I'd just like to point out that I've been here less time than these guys. Charles says, why are you telling me this? I just think the bar should be lower for a newbie. (laughs) Charles says, is this something you really want to have said? Andy ponders for a moment. I don't want to have said that. Pause. (laughs) But I think it's important that you know it. <laughs> he's he's just trying to milk it, try and yeah. have mercy thrown on him. But Charles is not having it. <laughs> Deleted scenes. What have you got? It might be my favorite one where Michael shows up late for work. You you hear the squeal of tires, and all of a sudden we look out the window and his. Uh, PT Cruiser zooms into a spot and we see him sprinting into the building. He runs upstairs into Dunder Mifflin, straight to his old office. He doesn't realize he's in the wrong place until Charles comes in. Jim even comes in and says, hey. And Michael says, do you think anybody noticed that I'm late? And Jim just says, I think they're more surprised that you're even here. (laughs) And then Charles comes in. Michael just sort of dismisses himself, gentlemen. But then you also have Aaron asking, uh, was I supposed to stop him? He just seems so confident. (laughs) (laughs) And Charles says, you did good. Uh, And so Michael walks into the Michael Scott Paper Company to find Pam alone. Where's Ryan? Ryan's late. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) Yeah. Andy is mad in this deleted scene because, one, he cannot find his Andy mug. And two, because he lost a client to Michael Scott Paper Company. Aaron was using his mug, and she thought he was making a cute, funny face, so he's not so mad anymore. Except, no, on second thought, he really does need the mug. <laughs> yeah, he leaves. I can't. And then I he comes this. back. <laughs> he comes back and he pours her coffee into another mug so he can have his mug back. Like, That's so funny. No, thank you, but I really do. <laughs> then there's a continuing thread of deleted scenes, which I guess we could sort of alternate on, where Angela has handed out the rejected expense reports. As she said to Charles, she was going to be tougher on them. Uh, So Stanley can't uh, expense cigars anymore. I don't know how he ever got away with that, but he can't do it anymore. And Phyllis can't take Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, to Alfredo's every Saturday night on the company's dollar anymore. And Angela says, you know, I get no joy from this. And then she smiles as she walks away. And the continuing thread is with Andy. Mm Mm-hmm. Andy is trying to get his dentist appointments, namely his veneers and his invisible braces, taken care of because his smile is important to his sales career. Angela denies these, but uh, in a later deleted scene, Michael then approves them because right sounds like a great month, he says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Andy's logic in it being a business transaction. He says, uh, my smile boosts my confidence, which has a direct impact on my sales. So therefore, business. And then yeah. when he, he he's trying to convince uh, Angela to reconsider his expense report. And he says, you know, because of our history, I thought you would give me this. She says, OK, because of our history, you get a two hour extension and then we are even. Uh, no, no, not quite. <laughs> No, you get to get engaged again, and then he gets to cheat on you for months, yeah, or years. Yeah, that, that's that's how it would be even. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, in a talking head, says, "You know, I enjoy working with my hands. I I type, I file, I use the telephone, but now he's also enjoying using his feet more now too. I'm hitting the brakes and the accelerator of the van, and I'm walking from the van, and I'm." Uh, walking back to the van (laughs) he says so even though i consider myself a hands-on guy i'm also a foot-song kind of guy (laughs) that's not what either of those mean david has a talking head where he basically says that he expects everything surrounding michael to fail he says i expected his branch to fail and it didn't i expected his company to fail and it didn't and i now expect these negotiations to fail (laughs) and uh yeah, they did. 
They did. They did. Um, <laughs> Michael, in a following Talking Head, says, you know, this is a classic David and Goliath situation. Only I'm David, and David is a Goliath named David, and Pam and Ryan are David, and Charles is Othello. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And there, there's that racism. I found it. There. The famous Michael Scott <laughs> racism. Andy is in line. This is the last one for me. He's in line after Creed at the copier. Creed is taking longer than Andy would like, so he starts singing, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, up, up. He's singing, hurry up. And Creed starts, like, running in place slash dancing to the beat of Andy's song. And Andy says, come on, man, like, I'm telling you to hurry up. Creed says, I'm dancing as fast as I can. (laughs) (laughs) Last one for me. You mentioned earlier, um, Andy, after getting his expense report re-denied by Angela, uh, he goes to Michael to get it approved at the end of the episode. And Michael says, I heartily approve. And he says, let them eat cake. Okay. Uh, But then to finally close things off, Michael just sort of points at Jim and Jim points back. And then Dwight points at Michael, but Michael doesn't reciprocate. And that's the end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So discussion topic for this episode. We, in the end, Michael wins what amounts to a huge amount of money and, you know, honestly, a heck of a deal for him, Pam and Ryan. And so I just wanted to one, I wanted to ask and ponder, do you think that David Wallace's offer to the Michael Scott paper company was purely business or do you think there was a personal aspect to it as well? I mean, we've both made our feelings on David fairly clear. We think he's a good guy. We think he, while he doesn't get Michael and he doesn't like a lot of, I don't think he likes talking to Michael, but he likes Michael as a person like he's a he knows that michael's a good guy i think mostly it was business but that he was more willing to bend because of his history with michael and that things with michael didn't end on a good note um and david realized that he's been shortchanging michael for a long time Mm -hmm. and that this would finally maybe show michael that he is valued well you have that moment earlier in this episode where phyllis said you know if you just returned michael's call then maybe none of this would have happened. We wouldn't have lost any of our clients. And David says, you know, I think about that too. So I think it does weigh on David's heart a little bit that all of this is because of his inability to communicate with Michael like Michael wanted. And it was, as we talked about in that episode, a sort of lack of respect uh, from David to Michael, not necessarily the party. It was respecting that Michael had been there for a while and had a say in things instead of, asking Charles to completely take over and change things when, again, things didn't need to. So I, I think it was largely a business decision, but I also think that David is trying to make personal amends too by mm-hmm. saying, you know, yeah, Michael, I did screw up. I did. And this is me making it up to you. We're making things as close to the way they were as we can. I'm even going to trust you on this Ryan guy. I mean, he's not in corporate anymore, so hopefully he can't steal hundreds of thousands of dollars anymore. (laughs) But uh, I I think it shows that David is putting a lot of trust in Michael again by sort of bending to, not to his whims, but to his demands. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a bit of both for sure. Well, cool. And so that is the end of the official 51st episode of An American Workplace. Contact for the show facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on twitter please consider going over to apple Podcasts, rate review and subscribe to us and if you have any feedback or ideas you can contact us at workplacepod at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white the best place for me is at chadadada on twitter also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins And you can also find my other show, Cinescope, where other podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and contact information for the show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And we also want to shout out our new Patreon subscribers, Rob and Kimberly. Thank you both. If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, Check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 51 of An American Workplace. 
Make sure to join us in episode 52, a whole year, for our discussion on the next two episodes of season five, Casual Friday and Cafe Disco. Bye. Bye. Uh, that's the end of the official 51st anniversary. Uh, no, not anniversary. <laughs> that is the, the amazing. End. <laughs> <laughs> An episode the end. a year. <laughs> uh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>